The following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. Research from the Femicide Census, an organization which collects information on men's violence against women, calculates that across the UK, 1,425 women were killed by men in the 10 years to 2018. That is about one killing every three days. My latest episode on January 15, 2022, The story of Hannah Clark really affected me, as I mentioned previously. But what troubled me the most was the fact that it happened just two years ago in 2020. In this day and age, we know so much more about violence against women and have so much more information. So how is this still happening? Obviously, I know that change doesn't happen overnight and someone can have zero prior incidents and still murder someone, so it really can happen to anyone at any time. It's not easy. This is a huge conversation with many different possible answers and solutions. Sadly, these conversations were again pushed into the mainstream media early last year in March 2021 with the murder of 33-year-old Sarah Everard in London, England who disappeared while walking home after visiting friends. This is her story. Sarah's story really highlighted the differences men and women deal with on a daily basis. Women are more aware of their surroundings, especially at night. We are taught to cross the street if a man is walking towards us, to walk without distractions like phone calls or music. We are taught to lock our doors immediately when entering our vehicles and to check our back seats. We walk with keys between our knuckles and our purse pulled close in. We are taught to be fearful. I have had many conversations with both men and women where these teachings are argued. You don't have to be so scared. The likelihood of it happening to you. I never think about these things, etc. so on. But the fact of the matter is, every woman you know has been scared at least once in their life, if not more. And even women who argue that they don't ever have to think about it or that they think being cautious is just being dramatic, they'll likely, sadly, one day have to think about it too, even if it's just for a brief moment. I live in a major city and have encountered many situations that left me feeling nervous and thinking I should have been safer. I also traveled through 16 countries in Europe by myself over four months, and while I was extra vigilant, I became worried on a few occasions or wished that I had paid more attention or hadn't gone down that particular street. I remember those instances. They've become stories I tell when having these conversations with people to reinforce my point or to spread awareness. They've also become my warning signs, as have other people's stories that have now embedded themselves into my brain. For example, the time I was entering my building late at night and a man suddenly appeared practically out of thin air out of some bushes to the side of the doorway and entered with me into the building. I should have let him take the elevator and wait for the next one, but another thing women often deal with that men don't, I didn't want to be rude. Side note, be rude. 
It's better to be rude than be attacked. Don't yell and provoke, but don't be worried about how you come across. So I entered the elevator and waited for him to press his floor so I could press mine. But of course, he selected the highest floor. This triggered fear. From the other stories I've heard, and I began to feel very unsafe, and so I called my mother, who I knew would be up, and I told her, Yes, I'm in the elevator, just coming up now. When I got to my floor, I left the elevator and walked so quickly right past my door that was immediately to the left of the elevator, and I waited until the elevator closed and started moving before rushing back to my apartment to let myself in. Was I really unsafe? Honestly, I don't know. Did my call scare him, or was I just fearful for no reason? I really don't know, but what I do know is that a man wouldn't have been scared in that same situation. Most men wouldn't have thought twice to get into an elevator at night with another man or anyone for that matter, which brings me to my last point, that many men have unintentionally terrified a woman and not even realized how their actions were perceived because they don't have to deal with it. Therefore, they just don't understand. Thankfully, because of social media, there is so much more awareness but we need to keep talking because no woman should be scared to walk home at night. Sarah Everard was born in 1987 to parents Sue and Jeremy and grew up in York in England. She was the youngest of three children with a brother named James and a sister named Katie. Growing up, she attended Fulford School where she was described as a, quote, popular and well-liked member of our community, and a lovely, bright, intelligent girl who shone within the school, end quote. Sarah went on to study at St. Cuthbert's College at Durham University, where she studied human geography. Personally, I didn't know what that particular subject was, but it is defined as, quote, the branch of geography that is associated and deals with humans and their relationships with communities, cultures, economies, and interactions with the environment by studying their relations with and across locations, end quote. I think this is a fitting area of study for Sarah, who loved ones described as incredibly kind, and even she described herself as having a, quote, positive presence and caring attitude for work and team, end quote. It is also fitting as her chosen career path was in marketing. In 2009, after graduating college, Sarah set off for the big city of London, settling into the area of Brixton Hill in South London. She worked at multiple agencies and in many different roles over her decade-long career, recently starting a new job at, quote, Flipside Group, a digital media agency based in Holborn, end quote, where she worked as a group account director. I want to share a few more sentiments about Sarah because it's so nice when I have these quotes to share and it really gives insight into her as a person. Her mother saying she was, quote, bright and beautiful, a wonderful daughter and sister. She was kind and thoughtful, caring and dependable. She always put others first and had the most amazing sense of humor. She was strong and principled and a shining example to us all. We are very proud of her and she brought so much joy to our lives, end quote. 
and her friends stating, quote, She's really caring, thoughtful, and never has a bad word to say about anyone ever. She has always been an exceptional friend, dropping everything to be there to support her friends whenever they need her, end quote. Quickly, I'm going to describe a bit about where she grew up and lived just to give a bit more understanding to the story. If I miss anything or you would like to add some information, as always, you can reach out via my Instagram at femicide underscore podcast or on my Facebook discussion group, Femicide Podcast. Sarah grew up in York, England, which is described as, quote, a walled city in northeast England that was founded by the ancient Romans, end quote. From the pictures, it looks like a very historic and beautiful city and is known for its cathedral, York Minster, a fortified complex known as York Castle, and its city walls. The city of York is also known as Yorkshire and is located in North Yorkshire, which is the largest non-metropolitan area in England. The city itself has a population of 153,717 as of 2011. York is approximately 200 miles or 320 kilometers north of London, which is the capital and largest city in England and is located in the southeast of the country. London has many sites to see, but some include Westminster Abbey, Big Ben, Buckingham Palace, Tower Bridge, and the Tower of London, which is where the crown jewels are held. London has a population of 8,961,989 and is considered to be a major financial center, making it a popular place for young professionals to find work. After graduation, Sarah moved to Brixton, also known as Brixton Hill, which according to Wikipedia is only a one kilometer or two thirds of a mile section of road in South London. But the area itself is considered popular for young professionals and a quote, flat share hotspot, end quote. Flats are apartments in England, and so flat share is essentially just having a roommate or renting a room. Although I think it sounds much nicer to say flat share. Sarah was just your typical 30-something living in the city. She enjoyed her work, spending time with her friends, socializing, and was happily in a relationship with her boyfriend, Josh Loth. Sarah also enjoyed running, and a photograph was released showing her with a medal after a race. Nearby to where she lived was a park named Clapham Common, which is known as a popular running spot. It also happens to be where she was visiting her friend on the evening of March 3rd, 2021. Sarah left her friend's home around 9 p.m. that evening. This is a well-off area with, quote, million-pound homes, end quote, so not at all considered an unsafe area. The walk was about 2.5 miles or 4 kilometers and should have taken her roughly 40 to 50 minutes to walk. She was dressed in running shoes and workout clothes, so she was prepared for the walk, and it was a regular route for her to take along well-lit streets with passing vehicles and buses, so every indication that she felt safe to make this trip home. She called her boyfriend around 9.15pm and spent about 15 minutes talking and making plans for the next day. She was captured on CCTV footage a doorbell camera, and on the dash cam of a passing police car. 
but 33-year-old Sarah Everard sadly never made it home. Sarah's boyfriend, Josh, alerted police the next day when she didn't turn up for their plans, and immediately her face was plastered all over the media. Even in Canada, I remember hearing about her missing as I follow a few people in London on social media. People scoured their doorbell camera footage looking for images of Sarah, and police searched CCTV cameras. They hoped they would see what happened to her, but at the very least, they wanted to put together a timeline, piece together her route, and put together likely scenarios. Just a day after she was reported missing, the specialist crime unit became involved as well, and it was all hands on deck to find her. Remember, she went missing during the height of COVID, and so it was taken particularly seriously because no one could understand where she could have gone. Friends and family came together to help police search for Sarah, and nearby parks were scoured and posters were plastered all over the area she went missing. Her family feared the worst and thought maybe she may have fallen victim to trafficking, but hopes were still high that Sarah would be found safe and alive. All that would change when it was announced on March 9th, just five days after she was reported missing, that a police officer was arrested in connection with the case. This development shocked everyone, and especially Sarah's family and friends. It was unthinkable, and no one could believe that someone meant to protect the community could be involved. But no one was prepared for the details that followed. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast. The concept behind femicide is very close to my heart, and I hope through these stories we can shed a light on the abuse, violence, and sexual assault that women face daily. This podcast is a 100% one-woman operation. I research, write, record, and edit every single episode myself. To help support me and my efforts, I have started a Patreon account. And if you aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a membership-based platform designed to allow fans to support and connect with their favorite creators. Sign up today online at patreon.com or via the Patreon app. I will leave a link in the show notes of this episode. And as always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts and memberships received each month to various charities that help support women. The charity I will be donating to for the month of February 2022 is Woman Abuse Council of Toronto. Quote, Women Act works collaboratively to eradicate violence against women through community mobilization, coordination, research, policy, and education. End quote. Gifts, while deeply appreciated, are not the only way you can show support. It would mean a lot if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, as it really helps to bring awareness to these stories. And please don't forget to share with your friends and families, because word of mouth is the best review of all. The police officer who was arrested in connection with the disappearance of Sarah Everard was 47-year-old Wayne Cousins. I don't often share too much about the perpetrators in these cases, but part of the reason his arrest was so shocking is that no one saw it coming. Wayne was a father of two that had been married to his wife, Alina, for 15 years. The family lived in Kent, or at least owned property there, 
which is in southeast England, and about 35 miles or 56 kilometers from London. He was also a former police constable and firearms officer who was working with the Metropolitan Police in London. The Met, as it's commonly referred to, is, quote, the territorial police force responsible for the prevention of crime and law enforcement in Greater London, end quote. Meaning Wayne was tasked with preventing crime in London, and instead he caused one of the most horrific stories you could ever imagine. This wasn't a spur-of-the-moment crime either. Wayne premeditated this crime, and Sarah just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. First, Wayne worked a 12-hour shift at the U.S. Embassy in London, where he finished at 7 a.m. He then traveled to the town of Dover in Kent, where he's from, and hired a rent-a-car at 4.45 p.m. before driving back to London. He went to a few different areas before ending up in Clapham Common at around 9.23 p.m. as his car was captured on a passing bus's CCTV camera. It was this that led to his capture as it showed two people at the car and the vehicle's license plate. He had actually stopped Sarah and shown her his identification, claiming she had violated COVID-19 protocols and then handcuffed her and placed her in his vehicle. Believing initially that she was being arrested, Sarah went willingly. She had no reason to doubt the officer, although I'm sure she was upset at being arrested and would have likely been professing her innocence or how she unintentionally had committed this violation. The CCTV cameras also captured Wayne's car driving in a circular pattern looking for a victim someone walking alone that he could target. A passing police car also captured Wayne and Sarah's interaction. In the footage, he is seen showing her something, likely his badge. The police officers assumed that he was undercover and was arresting Sarah for committing a crime, and they had no reason to believe anything sinister or inappropriate was taking place. Wayne had also been working to enforce COVID protocols during this time, and so he had the language down that would have made Sarah believe what he was saying. Wayne then drove Sarah back to Kent. He moved her into his own vehicle at around 11.30 p.m. to 12 a.m., and then transported her to a wooded area, where he then raped and strangled her to death. He then was seen purchasing drinks at a petrol station at 2.34 a.m., before driving to another secluded area. In an effort to cover up his crime, he then burned her body and some belongings in a fridge on Hodes Road, near where he owned property. He then disposed of her remains. Reports say that they were put into some type of bag, a builder's bag, and put in the pond, but another report says that the remains were found on the property. Regardless, he apparently left and returned to the site two more times before returning the rental car at 8.26 a.m. on March 4th. At some point, he also disposed of her mobile phone in a separate location. Following his arrest, his properties and surrounding areas were searched, and that is when Sarah's remains were found. It was confirmed through dental records that it was her 
And just as quickly, on March 12th, Wayne was charged with her kidnapping and murder. On May 22nd, 2021, Sarah's funeral was held near her hometown of York, where she was laid to rest, surrounded by her cherished friends and family. Wayne was meant to be off work until March 8th and called in sick on his return date. He also notified his superior that he no longer wanted to carry a firearm, and colleagues say he was stressed. He also apparently took his family to the woods where he had previously burned Sarah's body on March 7th. Killers often revisit the scene of their crimes, so that's not surprising. But to bring your family to that place on a family outing is just unthinkable, and I feel really bad for his, his poor family. There is a report of an uninvestigated incident exposure linked to Wayne from 2015, but I'm not sure of the details of that. And like I said, no one expected this. His wife, Alina, stating this wasn't human behavior. She added, quote, If I had any idea what was going on in Wayne's head, then none of this would have happened, but I didn't know anything. He didn't appear to be acting strangely. I didn't notice anything was wrong. I'm working full-time most of the time. I'm dropping the children off at school and picking them up. I have a really busy lifestyle. I can't comprehend it because he never once previously showed any glimpse of violence. He was never that way. I'm just as puzzled as everyone else. I saw nothing wrong. He had a beautiful family, a good house. What else did he need? I'm constantly asking myself, where did I miss the signs? How on earth could this have happened? End quote. Alina's twin sister also adding, quote, I myself don't know what to think about it. I just don't know. Perhaps he was in a kind of state. The man I know, the man I spoke to, he is a decent, good man. He is a lovely husband. My sister never had a bad word to say about him. She never once said he was aggressive or anything like that. End quote. Wayne pled guilty to kidnapping, rape, and murder on June 8, 2021, and was sentenced to life in prison on September 30, 2021. He is apparently appealing his sentence, but likely that will not result in a change. The judge stating that his misuse of his police power was, quote, a vital factor which in my view makes the seriousness of this case exceptionally high, end quote. The public outcry following what happened to Sarah was deep. Even Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, sent a note to the family following her disappearance. People everywhere came to pay tribute at her vigil on March 13th, and many more took to social media to express their sadness and to use her story to highlight the growing epidemic of violence against women in the UK. The debate sparked further international attention and the conversation was all over the media and throughout social media. Quote, So far this year, at least 108 women in the UK have been killed by men, or in instances where a man is the principal suspect, according to Counting Dead Women, a group that tracks femicide in the country. Enough is enough, says Emma Kay, the founder of the free mobile app WalkSafe. She continues, UK women are calling for action. 
we must be able to walk home safely and live without violence in our own homes. End quote. Sadly, just weeks before Wayne Cousins' sentencing, another woman was murdered in the southeastern borough of Greenwich in London. On September 17, 2021, 28-year-old primary school teacher Sabina Nessa was walking to the local pub near her home to meet a friend when she was attacked. Her body was found the next day in nearby Cater Park under a pile of leaves by a dog walker in the area. On September 27th, a man named Kochi Salamage, a 36-year-old garage mechanic, was arrested. He then pled not guilty, although he admits responsibility for her murder. His trial is set for June 2022, and I plan to cover this case in more detail once the outcome of the trial has been publicized and more information is released. But Sabina's brutal murder only sparked further outrage within the UK, and public outcry was heard all over the country. New strategies were released by the government for tackling violence against women, but many say that the epidemic of violence against women in the UK needs to be addressed much more and that not nearly enough is being done. I'm obviously not from the UK and can't speak to their specific experiences in their country, but violence against women is a global crisis and truly affects us all. So I hope by continuing to spread awareness, real changes can be made to prevent further women from enduring such unfathomable fates. My heart just breaks to think of what Sarah went through on that fateful evening. How someone who took an oath to protect was the person who caused such terror and committed such horrendous crimes. I wonder if Sarah felt something was wrong while she was being arrested, or if she trusted him and thought she had just messed up. I think of how on that long drive to Kent, which was about an hour or so, how she felt if they spoke, or if he was silent during the trip. I wonder at which point his intentions became clear, and I tear up at the thought of what that fear must have felt like to her. No woman should have to face that fear. No woman should not be able to walk home safely. Thank you for listening to the story of Sarah Everard. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.